This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Pride of West London B-Sotted podcast. We are at a home from home for us. We're at the George IV pub in Chiswick. It's a big, old, proud Chiswick boozer. We've been here, we've been here lots of times. It's a, it's a great venue and they always look after us well here. Um, I'm, I'm tucking into a pint of Pride Unfiltered. There's, a, there's another... What are you drinking, the Allard? Guinness. 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 And we've got some white wine and we've got some London Essence ginger ale going on with XG Dave. So, uh, yeah, so we, um, as we say, we're we're gathered here in West London tonight. And we're going to, it's quite a lively one this evening because uh, although there's not lots of topics to to cover, there's there's some really good stuff to, to talk about tonight. None more so than obviously looking back to uh, last Saturday when we we uh, sent the Raras back to uh, their part of West London with their tails firmly between their legs after a three nil drubbing at Griffin Park. It's the penultimate West London derby between us two at Griffin Park. So there's going to be one more. We're not going up probably. They're not going down unfortunately, and so we'll we'll reconvene that one next year. And it looks like Fulham are going to be joining us for, for the last season at Griffin Park as well. So fair play to them for entering into the spirit. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're providing lots of laughs as it is at the moment. So, as I say, tonight, I'm going to go around, I'll go around anti-clockwise tonight. To my, to my right is XG Dave. XG Dave, how are you, my friend? Uh, hi, Lainey. Thanks for the introduction. Uh, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, uh, last week... Had a lovely week in New York, so I'm nice and refreshed. Watched a few different sports, watched a bit of basketball, so I might throw in a few basketball references today. But yeah, nice and refreshed. Busy week this week, and yeah, thanks for having me and looking forward to, looking forward to the pod. So you missed QPR? I missed QPR, yep. I watched it back afterwards. Uh, I missed Wednesday as well, um, but I followed it from afar, as, far, as well as you can do. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, you can still bask in the glory across the water. It doesn't matter where you are. I'll crush you. And right opposite me, at, at 12 o'clock to my 6 o'clock, is Matt the Allard. Allard, how are you, Matt? I'm good, thanks. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a, a great weekend. And um, yeah, I'm ready for tonight. And and can we? You, are we going to talk about QPR much? I, I suppose you've done it already, haven't you? The lot of QPR chat, but... Well, we we did it on Monday on the on the radio show. We did talk about it a fair bit, but I don't think you can. Can there be too much QPR chat? No. Is my point. No, no, that's no. not. No, exactly. I don't think. I, don't, I think we can bask in this one just a little bit more. And we, we if you listen to the uh, Monday night radio show, we played the fan clips after the game when the Brentford fans and the QPR fans they talked about their their reactions to the result. We'll play them again because I, I don't I don't think everyone listens to both of the shows. If you don't, you're mad. You should. But if you, if you if you if you do, you might want to just skip the next five five or six minutes. Or hell, just listen to it again. It's brilliant stuff. Brilliant. And to my left, in a in a segregated area, is is a woman. Ali, how are you? I'm having a great time in the segregated area. We're having my nails done and a facial as part of the whole podcast experience. It's marvellous. And are you, uh, are you happy to keep yourself away from us males? Absolutely. It smells much nicer over here. <laughs> um, we'll talk about that later on. If that, if that went over your head, well, you're lucky, um, <laughs> to be honest with you. And if it hasn't gone over your head, then take a chill pill. So, let's first and foremost, let's go back to the most important thing that's going to happen at Griffin Park this month probably is the 3-0 victory over QPR here's what the fans thought after the game it was a very very tight game the first half in particular very touchy very edgy the referee didn't really get too much involved but the real class showed through in the second half three good goals Penalty, absolutely no question about that. And Canos with the absolute icy on the cake at the end. We, we own the West London at the moment. Absolutely fantastic performance by the Bees. Tough first half, each team finding each other out. But at the end of the day, QPR just simply could not put up with what our skills and offerings. We definitely own West London tonight. No, to be honest, it was a very easy win when, uh, when the football reached the pitch. One team was playing football and one team was hoofing it. And the team that played the football won 3-0 at a canter. Well, today was a bit more of a cagey game. They pressed really hard the first half. And, and, and we, I thought defensively we were excellent today. Held, held ourselves. We counted when we could. And second half we came into our own. The only disappointment I have to say, and I'm very, very disappointed... Bibwell wasn't on his arse today and it's very, very disappointing, Bill. That second goal, Malpay netting, crossing the ball for Bernrahma to score was a thing of joy. Rangers didn't really have much to offer. Uh, it was a typical derby in the first half. Second half, we showed our real class. Brentford were a cut above QPR's. QPR today. Let's go on, let's build on from this, let's uh, ruin a few more seasons as the season comes to a close for us. Uh, we got the penalty after that, it was all us. Uh, I think uh, Bentley had one save to make. Uh, we, didn't, we never, never really looked in doubt and uh, we just uh, tore them apart in the end. Well-deserved win by us, really good performance. It was a scrappy game and I think the win played its part in that too. Um, I think you kind of get that perspective from the side of the pitch, which you know I know you guys are behind the goal. But I really thought it played quite a lot of the game today. And I was actually thinking, uh, um, 
you know, in the, in the last 10 minutes of the first half, just getting at half-time at nil-nil, and I, I'm pretty sure in the second half we'll be better with the win behind us because um, give us the opportunity to play forwards. There's a lot of not average size in this league, and when we play to our best, we, um, we're a step ahead of those sides. You know, Makocho today works his balls off, and you need that to give Sawyers the freedom to be able to play his game. Um, so you get a proper balance in midfield when you're only playing two players in midfield central midfield one of them's got to work their balls off and that's what Makocho gives you and we saw that again today he wasn't perfect but, but you know what he ran he, he, you know, he, he, he ran all day Makocho um, he had a great game flat in the first half it's always going to be the first goal wins and uh, we fell to pieces second half job done first goal wins we sat back after that and we, you dominated job done we, we ain't got the players for it and he brought Smith on too late. Like, like, even for corners of the free kicks, Bentley was winning all the corners of the free kicks, punching them out. Should have brought Smith on earlier. He might have been a difference, but, yeah, we're not good enough. We ain't good enough. I don't mind this season. We've done you at Argaff. You've done us here. I don't mind today. Yeah, today's all right. I don't mind. No, I think, I think what it come down to was the first half was just two teams, well, us kicking lumps out of you, trying to break the play up, and then... Second half, got a penalty. Not sure if it to me, it looked like a home team penalty, and that, that killed the game. Yeah, it didn't kill the game for us because it just took us to a, to a, to a next level. It just it, it just went a bit today, so we tried, but it was like we were playing, but we, we, we were playing for a nil nil from the outset. As far as I'm concerned, though, I don't think he'll take this up. I think he, he, he's steady in the ship. He, he's just um, a lot better than Holloway because Holloway, he was the right man but the wrong plan. McLaren's got a bit of savvy about him. He knows what's what. He brought Wells in, he brought Hemmett in, he brought Rangel in, he brought Cameron in, and it sort us out. And then, but recently we're, we're trying, but it's just not, it's just not working. Did you see them cry? I did. Uh, when uh, when he when he had an open goal, and instead of shooting it into the open goal, he thought, "Do you know what? I could score now, but I'll cut it back for Ben Rama." To my mate. Yeah, yeah, give it to Rain, just rub it in. First half, I, thought, I actually thought Rain's had a good job. I thought the midfield was good. I thought Freeman is clearly a really good player. And he, he, he almost single-handedly, single-handedly got stuck into our main men and he, he put them off. But as soon as the first goal went in, it was... Um, it's all over, it? It was all over. It really was. Clearly, QPR were battling really hard. Like, nil-nil would have been a good result for them. And naturally, anything draw away, it's a good result. But... The penalty was given like 48 minutes and we scored it. We scored a penalty. It's a different game. We, we, it's 3-0. Their keeper, I thought, had a really good game. I thought he scored it. He, he, he made two really great saves in the second half. Like the floodgates open at 1-0. And keep me on. And I, I don't say this for anything other than just facts. Like, organised sides. Not particularly good defensively. All right in the midfield, but they got literally nothing up front. This game, Brentford QPR at Griffin Park, is the game that most QPR fans secretly dread. And today you, you see why. You know, they know that they're not a match on us anymore. 
They they beat us at their place. Bragg, bragging rights was theirs for a short period of time, but we, we take it 5-3 on aggregate this season. So West London is technically ours again um, because we showed them again. Look, Brentford, Brentford are the pride of West London. So as you heard, there were some very, very happy bees straight after the game and especially back in the pub afterwards. It, it was, a, it was a, well, what to say, it was a late one. It was just jubilation. There was, um, there was high jinks, let's put it that way. And there was some good songs sung, as you, as you as hopefully will hear again. Neil Morpay, he made the Rangers cry. We went wild, wild, wild. We absolutely did. Dave, so... Although you missed the game in person, you've, you've watched the game back. Um, what did you obviously make? I mean, you, know, you must be gutted that you missed, missed it in the flesh. Obviously, I, I'm not going to compare New York with beating QPR. Q, beating QPR wins all day long. But what did you make of the game? Uh, yeah, I thought I thought it was. Um, it started off quite cagey. Just going back to right right at the start, it's probably been spoken about to death. But my own personal view is Bidwell should have gone immediately. Then I think the ref has not bottled that. I think the refs just thought he's tried to level the game off, and he's said it's too early, so I'm not going to send him off. Um, I'll just blow a foul, and we'll carry on. Which is a weird thing refs do. I think instead of actually upholding the law, sometimes they. They try and keep the game even and fair, which is completely wrong. He should have gone. The referee's remit is not to keep things fair and, and, and the game good for the spectators, is it? Yeah. You know, it's about uh, it's about if someone if someone hacks someone's head off with their elbow in the first second or the hundred and first second, they they should get the same punishment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the timing of the offence doesn't really matter. It, it's still an offence. The refs should know the rules and they should sort of apply them. So I, I think he balls up there, but. Moving on, that we're, we're not bitter about that. It, it happened. We still won 3 0. Um, KG game at first, I think, sort of feeding each other out. And then, yeah, second half, the floodgates opened. Uh, B showed their quality and, yeah, sort of put QPR to the sword. The Allard, it was a big, big win. Um, we got the local bragging rights back. Um, we lost, obviously, at Loftus Road before Christmas where they, they turned the, re- the game around second half after being one up at the break where Morpay went a bit wobbly. And um, obviously, you know, he got, he, got, he got clumped in the head that game as well, funnily enough. So uh, he missed the second half. Thankfully, he didn't miss the, the, the second half because he set up a brilliant goal for Ben Rama and he obviously scored a penalty himself. So, what, what, you know, now the dust has properly settled on that. What, is there, have you got any sort of lingering thoughts? Um, <clears throat> I think, do you know what? What's, Malpe got flattened a couple of times and I, I worry a little bit that refs have got it in their head that Malpe goes down too easily um, and potentially um, are making the wrong judgment calls because of that. I, I, I can't prove that, but, you know, <clears throat> it's a very unlikely that the ref came into the game not knowing Malpe has a reputation on those lines. So, that, you know, may, does that play its part? I don't know. Um, I, uh, you know, and even if Bidwell shouldn't have even, even if he wasn't trying to flatten Malpe, I suspect he was actually trying to get a reaction. Um, and, you know, so, so that side of it is, you know, maybe that's a slightly different perspective on that. Um, the other thing is, is that I was fascinated during the game that QPR... 
I think, changed their system and went to three at the back. Obviously, to I assume, to match up with us um, and try and stop us playing, which they kind of managed in the first half. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. Um, I, I wasn't a, not thought they play three at the back normally, and I'm pretty sure they don't. Um, and the other thing was, like, you know, and that, that put, is it Leisner, Tony Leisner? The big guy um, who plays um, at the back for him, that put him up against Mope. And to be honest, he was no match for Mope. He's not mobile enough um, to be a match for Mope. And so in a way, I think they sort of dug a bit of a grave for themselves there because because he was the, the central centre-back. He had to take Mope. The other two, you know, weren't going to. So I think a bit of a rod for their own back. Interesting, I also saw that apparently Villa are interested in signing Leisner, which I thought was... I, I, I don't know if you never know if there's any truth in any of these stories, but I'm thinking, you know, when Dean Smith was at Brentford, would we have been looking at a centre back like that? Not in a million years. Um, so I, that kind of just just came into my head there. But anyway, he, he looked like a bit of a spiteful donkey, Leisner. Oh, if I'm honest with you, honest. he's got he was the balding guy. He was yeah, the, he had the Steve yeah. McLaren hair island. If you if you if you go back and watch when they got demolished by West Brom at the beginning of the season, what was it, six or seven or whatever it was, just watch him for every single goal because he's just falling on the floor. He's, 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 when I saw him there, I thought, God, he's not going to play more than five games before they ship him, ship him back to where he came from. But, you know, he seems to have built himself a, a reasonable reputation and, um, and well he's captain isn't he so well, captain, captain thug yeah well okay yeah yeah okay it's all relative isn't it it's all relative captain of QPR that's brilliant yeah so well hopefully well that actually proves my point that I don't think that Dean Smith left with any information because there's no way Leisner's on any blackboard or whiteboard at Jersey Road unless there's unless there's like a joke one that they have just in case the head coach wants to walk out and they, and they think they're going to go like and Keo from Derby is on, is on it as well isn't it yeah so uh, maybe there's like maybe there's like a, a joke a joke kind of um, like A-list target that that, um, that, the, that Dean Smith's left with. Who else might be on the Dean? Maybe McEachran's on it as well. <laughs> so uh, anyway, Ali. So it was a big big day for you as well. You you, you go with your boys, and uh, they must have been properly made up after that. Oh yeah, it was. It was a, the second half was a thing of beauty. Uh, in the penalty, you see my youngest nine-year-old in the, in the hoodie up at the front going, come on! <laughs> so it was great and um, loved every minute of it. I thought we played some fantastic football in the second half. Just pick up oh, a couple of points that were made actually there. Uh, I thought, did anybody else think QPR as a whole looked like they could all do with losing a few pounds? Or maybe it's just the horizontal stripes. Yeah, no, yeah, they say that horrible, horizontal, hor- 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 horrible stripes, horizontal stripes. Yeah, yeah it's horrible. oh yeah, it's, it's not flattering apparently. Yeah. And also picking up on the point about Malpe's reputation, it was interesting that Watkins' reputation didn't go before him for that penalty, because um, a couple of people around where I were, Dan was saying, um, "Well, are you sure?" Because I said that's a Stonewall penalty, and people, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. I, th- I think it was, but it was one of those ones that. You know, you might have thought reputation post Barnet would it have gone before him, and it could as e- easily not have been given. And that sort of like opened the floodgates. So it was quite an important decision, I think. It was because it looked like he went shoulder to shoulder with him as as the as the challenge was yeah. made, and I think he, he did come off worse. So it was obviously a little bit more bit more energy pushed one way than it was going the other. But oh, I th- I thought it was a pen. I was right. I was right in front. Right in front of it. It. <laughs> 
it could I could understood if it was not given as well, but I'm really glad it was because I I think we deserved a chance to score because we're Brentford and their QPR. So it's as petty as that, really. And just to say, if Malpe hadn't put that right into the corner, the keeper would have saved it because he got a hand to it. And he, if he had to put it, it was a really, really good penalty. And the second goal was just to die for. I tell you what, something I enjoy watching today, and I don't, I don't normally watch the official um, website, not not for any particular reason. It's just like I don't, I'm out of the habit of, of watching it. And someone sent me a link of um, the Derby Day, where they've obviously got their film crew to to follow the players around. Talking to Peter Gillum, talking to Johan Barbe, talking to one or two of the others, um, and um, the kit man, so, so Simon, Simon the kit man, Simon Taylor, um, and yeah, the groundsman. And uh, it was, I thought, really entertaining. It's obviously taken them a lot of work the last few days to put that together. Obviously, you know, Billy and I do f- some filming every now and again as well, and we, uh, we appreciate literally how much effort it takes and how much work to, to edit there and get all the cutaways done and get the so if you haven't seen it already head to the uh, Brentford official website and, and look at the Derby Day film it's on YouTube as well um, it's really really good um, there's it's, it's a lot of, uh, lot of insight there and there's a lot of passion it's nice to see Peter Gillam going crazy at the end love watching Steve McLaren's kind of like mood past him um, as, as, he, as he sort of went off the pitch at the end of the game um, it's really good and obviously like the Ben Rama when he scored the goal, apparently, on Saturday, he went looking for Peter Gillum. So, um... And you also get to see, you get the chance to see Potter just go past Bidwell when he just puts it over the top yeah, and turns it around again. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely, yeah. So if you want, if you want to see Bidwell on his arse, then uh, that's another reason to watch it. So that was, it, was really, it, it was a really, really impressive afternoon. And I think, I think we've, we've taken it as fans in, in, in pretty, you know, we've... We, We've enjoyed it. I don't think we're like in massive gloat mood. Although, saying that, there was a poll on Besotted earlier in the season, and it was which is your favourite recent QPR victory at Griffin Park? <laughs> so uh, we've beaten them the last four times we played them, and you won't be surprised. Probably Saturday's three 0 win was the winner marginally. Um, it just about beat the one 0 win when. Um, uh, Jurisin scored, um, which was it seems that seems a long time ago now, and it, and it kind of is a bit really, yeah. So it was our it was our second season in the uh, or say about almost at the Prem, so our second season in the Championship. Um, QPR had come down, and uh, yeah, Marco Jurisin scored what was a, it was a really good finish, yeah. So we we've we've certainly got better since then. Um, so yeah, so I think we'll draw a line under QPR. It's a shame we can't play them again next week because we we uh, I think at the moment it's quite obvious where the team that is going forward is in West London and where the team is that are struggling for their football identity really. So at least at least we're we're guaranteed um, at least one West London derby next year, almost two. So after this twang, we're going to go on and talk about. Women in football and the um, it, hurrah! And we're going to un- uncage Ali Malali. We're going to allow us allow her to join us at our table, and we're going to talk about one or two things about attracting new fans to Brentford. Last Monday, 
Uh, Brentford were, I say, brave enough to try a, a seminar for International Women's Day, which takes place on Friday. Um, and they had a, a women in football seminar on, on, on Monday evening. As I said, um, we were at, uh, we were doing our radio show that night, so we couldn't go along. So it's pretty hard to comment on something you, you've not attended. Um, what I will say straight away is I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get really angry about the one slideshow that's been been put up um, from from the event because uh, I, I, you know I, I don't know what context that was I don't know whether they were just brainstorming you know for someone who's been involved with you know, lots of companies in my time um, and I've been involved with uh, Brentford and focus groups on lots of different things sometimes there's some real strange nonsense that gets brought up they're not necessarily serious ideas they're just things that worth discussing whether to rule in or rule out so Ali you were invited along on Monday night you couldn't make it because you had your your kids needed picking up what have you thought of the the fallout from from this from this kind of slideshow Uh, I would just say ironically I couldn't make it because on for an international women's day event because my husband came home from work in time Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I think the, the the issue has been with the particular still that the club put out on Twitter now I think everybody, probably most people listening to this have seen it. Um, there's a still of Natalie Sawyer behind her with various suggestions, one of which was segregated areas for women and women-only matches. Sorry, two of which. And I must admit, when I first glanced at it on Twitter, I thought, what the actual... Yeah. Is that all about? Um, what a dreadful idea. And then I actually read the tweet and actually spoke to a friend of mine who had actually made it. And it was actually part of a brainstorming session. And the, what we have to understand about that seminar is it wasn't just football fans who were there. It was an attempt to engage women in the local community as a way of getting more women who live locally um, to come and watch football. And whilst the whole segregation thing, the club have actually come out subsequently and said, you know, it was it's not something we're going to consider because it's not inclusive um, it is quite important to think that there are women out there in the local community who potentially we've got a 17,500 stadium to fill with our existing 10,000 fans if it's a big game who if they wanted to come to a football match somehow feel that they would want to be in their own area and separate and I find that quite alarming there's obviously still a stereotype of your typical football fan as some aggressive male which my experience isn't you know there's plenty of areas in Griffin Park where that cater for everybody I mean you want to go and stand on the terrace and shout and swear and sing that's where you go which is what I do you, you know you want to go in New Road and there's the, the family area in New Road where Hopefully that's not quite happening because you've got small, small children. Um, but I think I, I feel that everybody's catered for it, and I don't think that is necessarily coming over to people in the local community. Now, an argument I've had, not an argument, but a discussion I've had with people on Twitter, is that if people, if women don't want to go to football matches, they're not going to go. And you know, but there's a lot of women that football's in their blood. They've even been brought up watching football, or they've really got you know they play it or whatever and they will go to football whatever but it's about trying to include those people who don't naturally 
have that tendency to go to football. It's all about, and it's part of the bigger picture, which is making football, which is a sport that is accessible to everybody. And part of that is to shatter the stereotypes that people have and to make everybody feel welcome at the football ground. And I, I do think Brentford as a club generally does that, but they haven't really promoted themselves enough as a club that does that. And I think it was a really, really good initiative by the club. And I, I, it saddens me slightly that it's been soured slightly by possibly somebody not thinking through putting that particular still up on, on social media. And it's one of those classic situations where people haven't actually read what was written below it and actually bothered to find out and you know I when I saw the picture I felt patronised but when I read about it I thought okay no I don't because now I'm seeing what that's going for and with any brainstorming session and my understanding is that it was some electronic device and then you could type in and then it appeared on the screen um, with any brainstorming session as you said Dave you do get some bonkers ideas completely out of left field and you have the bonkers ideas at one end the bonkers ideas at the other end and then the ideas that people can get behind in the middle and and that's what it's all about and I don't think the club have even remotely thought about segregating anybody or having women only matches it was just something that came out of people who were there and I think we need to address the issues that people there are women out there who feel that if they want to go to a football match they don't want to be anywhere near them near the existing fans shall we say which I think is is really sad because my experience of Brentford is not like that. No, it's um, you know, and to be honest with you, if if, if segregating matches or women only matches were were suggested as a serious proposition, you know, justifiably, I think there would be outcry, and and you know. Any, no one in their right mind would, would support anything like that. And, uh, you know, it, it almost goes without saying, to be honest with you. And, you know, if, you, if you're thinking that this, this football club would do that, I think you've uh, kind of, you haven't got a, a full grasp of what this club's about. You know, the football club has won community awards. It's the mo- one of the most inclusive clubs there is anywhere in, in London, let alone Britain. Um, you know, it's, we need to attract new fans from every walk of life from every 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 breakdown of the you know the demographic it, it, you know it is something that we if we're going to grow as a club we need more fans we need more fans from everywhere and you need to engage with all these different subsections to understand how they tick to see how you can attract them and then you, you're not going to attract just them you're going to attract everyone equally i i would say it, it almost goes without saying another stat that came out of that event uh, was actually only 12% of Brentford fans, people who go regularly to Brentford, are actually women. So there is a huge potential fan base out there that's untapped. And I, 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 think, I think well done to the club for, for, for trying to, to find our ways of tapping into that, that, that fan base, you know. Yeah, I mean, so my, my reaction to it, when I looked at it, was... Um, was my first reaction was, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, I'm not, I'm not keen on segregation in 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 many walks of life. But my, but but my my overriding reaction was, why does so, I, I'm interested to learn, and I feel this about um, this is in all walks of life. If somebody you know feels uncomfortable, I'd, I want to know why they feel uncomfortable, and then you know. When you can understand why somebody feels uncomfortable, you can start looking at what you can do about that. And, um, and, that, and that, to be honest, was how I viewed it. And 
you know, this sort of, this storm of, um, um, you know, oh, Brentford are going to do this or going to do that. And there was a little bit, um, you know, there were other club supporters obviously stirring it up, up, which, you know, and and some people will defend against that, obviously, you know. But, but yeah, it just seemed a bit, you know, as Ali and as as you said, look, we're moving to a ground with 6,000 or 7,000 more seats. Um, We, I assume, want to try and fill that ground. Um, So why not engage with people that currently don't feel like football on a Saturday afternoon is a home to them and understand why that is and try and do something about it? Because, you know, and it's not about diluting, you know, other people's experiences. It's trying to just make things a bit, you know, try and understand what, what can we do? How can we make the environment more welcoming in areas of the ground, that sort of thing, and try and understand why people, you know... I live in Twickenham. There are people that look at me like I'm a madman when I say I go to football on a Saturday because they go to rugby. And they just, you know, and they don't get it. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in understanding why they don't get it and trying to break down some of those preconceptions they have rather than, you know, personally feel like, oh, somebody's trying to alienate me um, for whatever reason. Um, you know, I, I see it as trying to get more people to come and support my football club. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't we want to do that? So, Dave, do you think that um, kind of social media has kind of shot, shot the club slightly in the foot here? You know, if the, the, perhaps if they hadn't put up almost not a running commentary of the evening. I mean, I, I haven't gone through the timeline, to be, if I'm honest with you. I've been really busy on Monday, as I said, while I was doing the radio show. Maybe if if it was just kind of like a tweet at the end of the night saying, well, maybe the the kind of like the the running commentary of the evening actually kind of didn't really help. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right with the social media side of things. Um, it it kind of polarizes everything, so yeah, it magnifies it and makes it probably ten times worse than it is. But yeah, there, there are groups of people who are just sort of waiting for the ignition or something to sort of spark a reaction, and this kind of seemed like it, but. With um yeah, well, just seconding what everyone said, we have a huge stadium to fill. Like the club, are, the club are sort of working hard to try and fill that. It, we need to tap into every single person we can. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter. Like segregation obviously sounds bizarre. It's got connotations of stuff, stuff in history. Segregation is not the way we want to go forward. But it's an avenue that maybe had to be exp- like if, if people are feeling uncomfortable, you do have to ask that question. And if that would. I mean, it has to be explored. You can't really rule anything out. We need to find, uh, what, what do we need to find, another 7,000 people? Um, every way we can try and do that is beneficial and it has to be explored. So, Ali, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the last word on this, love. Um, so, 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 I mean, do, do you find Griffin Park and Brentford Football Club an inclusive place? Is, is there an issue? Is there, is, there, is there things that need to be solved? What, you know, what's, what's, your, what's your take on this? No, my personal experience is, is no... Um, I don't find it intimidating. I find it, it, it very inclusive. Um, I think, generally, we have quite a diverse fan base. But as, you know, as with any walk of life, there's always people who are going to take offence at something. And uh, what, what I think people need to remember is that... A lot of what the club is doing at the moment, and football in general, it's not just Brentford, it's football in general, is it's about inclusion, not exclusion. And just because you want to include 
more women, um, more minority, more ethnic minorities, it doesn't mean you are trying to exclude the existing male white fan base. That's not what it's about. It's about adding to that fan base. Uh, and, you know, conversely as well, and, and because I will say this in all forms, if there are people that do feel alienated by some of this, then, you know, maybe we should have a conversation with them as well, a sensible conversation, not a, you know, a shouting on Twitter conversation, but sit down and have a sensible conversation as well, because, because, because I'm happy to listen to anybody who, do, who doesn't feel like they want to come to the club. So don't feel like this is, you know, me saying... Um, there's a certain group of people who are, are, you know, might not want to come to Brentford. I want to listen to them, and there's another group who feel alienated, that, you know, potentially. And I don't want to listen to them. I want to listen to everybody. So, you know, come and talk about it. Yeah, no, a hundred, more than a hundred percent agree. If there, if that is possible, it's um, you know, we as we always say on on Besotted, you know, anyone that's got an opinion about Brentford, as long as it's for the you know the, the betterment of Brentford Football Club, um, you're, you're welcome to come on here. And, and if you think for whatever reason um, you're being misrepresented or we're 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 changing the the fabric of our football club um, for the worse. Then you know it's a discussion that needs to be happened, um, needs to be taking place because you know as you've seen in the last couple of months, you know um, the way we've managed to be able to change the, the lounge names to reflect the heritage of the club, and I've always said I say it week in week out to know to know where you're going as a club, you need to know where you've come from, and you need to embrace what's made our club special all the way through the generations. You need to um, take that forward. Um, into the new stadium, whatever it's called, and that is that is like working class men. That is working class women. That is, you know, the Afro Caribbean community. That's the Asian community. That's that's everyone that lives in 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 our area and the surrounding areas. That's like doing the right thing by everyone, not any one, and uh, 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 you know, at the expense of anyone else. And I you know if if it's a conversation that we need to have then we, we need to have it. You know, it's like the red and white seat thing that's going on at the moment. Yeah, it's massively important. Um, you know, and, and again, we'll, we'll do what we can to, 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 to hold the club to account on those decisions. We're not going to win every single one of them, but at least we can just you know, put forward um, our, our opinions on it. I just wanted to say, before we wind this up, there was one very, very good suggestion on, on that PowerPoint slide. Uh, on Twitter that everybody has generally missed and that was the one about promote the women's team more make me believe that you believe in the women's team and I actually think that's absolutely spot on and I think Brentford ladies are Brentford women's team the club hardly the official Twitter feed hardly ever mentions them I think they should be getting pretty much the same sort of coverage as a B team gets and I think that that would be a great step forward for, for, for women in football so, Tuesday night, Griffin Park, under the lights. It was a hastily arranged B-team friendly with Malmo, Uwe Rosler's Malmo. And uh, it was good to see Uwe Rosler back at Griffin Park. Um, he, he didn't leave in particularly happy circumstances, deserting, leaving a ship to go to Wigan. But uh, there were, it, he oversaw the start of our progress as a, as a, as a football club, I think, as, a, as a, a football playing football club. Took over from Andy Scott 
and then uh, you know we we haven't we haven't looked back really since since that time. So Malmo in their their great their, their, they will they look really great in their blue shirts. That that it, it does remind me of the 1977 or 78 Cup um, European Cup final against um, uh, Nottingham Forest where uh, Trevor Francis scored, I believe. Um, and Malmo have been a big name in European football ever since that time. And it's actually a pretty big gig for Uwe Rosler to leave Fleetwood and go to Malmo. And I'm not sure how he wangled that. He's obviously got a, he's got a pretty good agent. So, uh, so fair play to him. And it was, a, it was a really stern test last night for, for the Brentford B. And it was a Brentford B team that was... In, included quite a few fringe players from the A team as well, and we went one nil down. We, we we started the game really well. I only watched the first half. I popped down to Griffin Park and um, fair play, free entry, fairly decent turnout, and we we went one nil down. Got caught out um, after some really you know really good moves early on, and then had a penalty that. Um, that was saved by the Brentford goalkeeper Anderson, and it was a really, it was a really good save down to his right hand side, and so it was one nil, one nil at the break, and then everything happened typically after I went in the second half. We went three nil, three nil down, brought it back to three two, then they went four three up, brought it back to uh, oh sorry four two, brought it back to four three, and apparently there were a lot of chances towards the end where we could have equalised. Um, so a pretty entertaining night for three. Um, and also, there was some really good run-out time for Chidozi Bonne. Um, Mads Beck Sorensen was like marshalling the back three or five, or however you want to look at it. Um, I, I saw um, Josh De Silva was was part of it, and obviously um, Emiliano Marcondes, um he, he played a, a serious amount of time in the game as well. So there was there was. I, well, I was, I was fairly impressed with Theo Archibald as well. You know, he, he didn't really get a, a huge amount of the ball um, in the wide areas. He looked really fast when he did get it, and he did track back, and he he was he was um, putting in some challenges. And I say Malmo, they really did hack us a lot in the first half. Um, and it's been said that a fair few of that team have got um, Malmo first team experience, and they've played in Europe at some stage in this this campaign. Dave. This is this. This was a game. You know, we, we're not going to learn masses amount from it, but it wasn't a pure Brentford B team. There were there were you know there were some players that were, are going to push for first team action for the rest of this campaign. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think what was quite interesting was the fact that yeah they used it as a time to get Marcondes some minutes. Uh, Josh De Silva hasn't played a lot recently, so he'd have got a good test. Um, yeah, I think it was quite interesting. The scoreline suggests that, it, that we were wide open and were carved open and sort of conceded chances left, right and centre. But, yeah, I, from what I saw, I was one of the unlucky ones watching on a dodgy, which seemed like a dodgy stream. It was one of those, one of those streams you heard about trying to watch the three o'clock game on a Saturday. Absolutely useless. But the YouTube, something, something was a bit amok there. Uh, never really sorted itself out. But overall, I mean, if we look at the players that played, yeah, I mean, Kirk... He's sort of forcing his way on the right back position. If anything happens to, we we know we're a bit light in fullbacks now. Josh Clark's obviously gone. Probably could do with him, but Kirk looks like he's pushing for that spot. Uh, Mazbeck Sorensen, he's straight in. If anything happens to our defenders, uh, Josh De Silva. Well, we we can't rely on Josh McEachern. Josh De Silva probably would offer a bit more. 
So yeah, I, I was quite impressed with them. Um, Malmo is one of the strongest teams I've ever faced. The B team. So yeah, I mean, good effort, really. Good effort. I thought, I thought Colder Silver. He had he had some he had a really good touch on him. Um, the best name of the night, obviously, goes to Bonke Innocent who was uh, the uh, number 20 from Malmo. I was, wait- I was waiting for Innocent to put in a, in a dirty tackle, but uh, it-, it didn't happen. So obviously that's a child in me. So, uh, you know, so as I said, we're not going to learn masses amount from it, but it- it's- it's- what was really good is like seeing um, Griffin Park used under the floodlights. And, uh, you know, it was- the rain came down second half as well. Um, sorry, first half. And uh, it-, it-, it looks great. Un, like beautiful green grass, bright floodlights, and lashing down rain. Happy days, happy days indeed. So, regular listeners to the besotted Pride of West London podcast will know that we we, we dip into the data pool um, fairly often, and uh, we've got XG Dave, who's joined the ranks of the besotted podcast. As you know, Brentford get lambasted at times for their reliance on, on data and stats and we're, we're, looked at, we're looked at as if like we use some sort of witchcraft to scout our players. Some of the press really do go to town on us and, it, and uh, we, it, it's something that's it's almost as divisive as some of the other things we've mentioned tonight. But data it absolutely is part of the modern game. Um, all clubs use it to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, the fact that our football club is almost self-sufficient now on scouting players that are um, achieving high in, in, in leagues that are slightly off the radar of most clubs and we can actually pluck them out of those leagues and bring them into Brentford. We can, we can get them to play the way that we want them to play and we can get them to um, perform to a level that we've not seen in our lifetimes, and you know it, it's always staggering to know that you know wh- up until now, at the very least, whenever we sell a big name player or someone that we think are almost indispensable, someone else has come in and they've either been as good as, if not better than, you know Ben Rama over Joseph Zoon is a, is, a, is an example, you know even Yotta. You know, we've got Andre Gray that we thought we would never replace. When Morpay wasn't fit to wear the shirt, and now Morpay is, you know, Morpay and Ben Rama are the dream team. So as you can see, Brentford are at the cutting edge of of, of modern football. Um, we're punching above our weight, as we all know, and long may it continue. So Dave, what, what we spoke about this probably. Eight, eight, eight matches ago yeah, yeah. and we said wouldn't it be interesting to work out where the data that we're seeing saying that we should be higher up the league although we're not um, how, it, how it translates and some of the clubs that were or still are at the top of the division that should be further down how they're coping is, is, the, is the XG data going to see the, the natural justice come into play before the end of the season. So you've been quite vigilant here, I would say. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at a very, very tightly packed, very small point bit of data in front of me that my eyes are burning to try and focus on. <laughs> Can you explain what I'm trying to focus on? Uh, yep, I'll try, Lainey. <laughs> I'll give it a good go. But yeah, no, what, what we wanted to do, Billy and I were on the radio show with uh, Aaron and we were talking about 
I think it was after the Rotherham match. It was the first away win in, well, first away win of the season. And uh, we started speaking about like performance and where we could go next. And, and we thought, yeah, we've won away. If we can start doing this a bit more often, if we can start putting a few of these together, our home form's so good, surely we're going to shoot up this table and, uh, and actually match where our underlying performance suggests we should be. So underlying performance with Brentford suggests we're like the sixth or seventh best team in the league. And that's basically the point of all this. You're trying to look at what is the difference between a lucky team and a team who is good, consistently doing good things. But yeah, we mentioned it on the radio show and, uh, and Aaron started laughing at us. He, he found it funny. He was like, oh, XG this and XG that. And we sort of counteracted him and said, no, no, it's, it's quite important. It, this, this does matter. It's information. It's, it's, it's showing you what your team's about. It's, it identifies things. I always go back to the Derby examples. The Derby are a, are a horrible team, really. They don't create good chances very lucky side uh, reliant on a young player Harry Wilson's like lovely lovely left foot scores goals from anywhere hasn't scored for a long time though which is quite interesting and that's that's kind of coincided with Derby's demise and uh, actually well not demise that's not fair but it looks like they're going to drift away from the uh, the playoff spots and they're, no, they're nowhere near good enough to probably get promoted this year and they'd be very lucky if they did but yeah we just wanted to look at the last eight matches and see if there's anything in there that that sort of indicated what we suspected, like Brentford were going to rise up the table. And, and it's been a slow rise, it's been slow. It's not been, it's not been as dramatic as we hoped, but I think if you look to the form guide for points, Brentford are just second. I think the only two, I think the team that's uh, over the last eight games for points, I think the only team that's better is Norwich. Norwich on, I think, 19 points, Brentford 18 points. So this last eight games has been, if, if the season started now, we'd be second. So that shows how good we've been. But it's, it's still the away it's, it's still our away form it's the Achilles heel of, of Brentford this season isn't it yeah it is it's the away form so some stuff like XG and this can sort of unravel stuff and it can uh, it can uncode it can uncode games so you have a game that finishes 2-1 was that a fair score did we deserve to lose 2-1 and sometimes you don't but if we look at our home form so after the last the last out of the last eight games uh, five games at home We've got 17 goals out of that. So we've scored 17 goals. But and that, I mean, if, if you say that out loud, that sounds like a hell of a lot. So the chances we created, we probably deserved around 9.3. So about 10 goals would be fair. So we're almost double what we scored at home. Uh, away from home is a little bit of a different story. So we've scored five goals away from home in the last eight games, which it seems pretty miserly. But I mean, just over a goal, a, well, yeah, just over a goal a game, 1.5 goals a game. And the chances that we created say that we should have scored 4.5 so that's about 5 so that's about even and uh, looking at this we're trying to figure out like, a lot of people say Brentford are useless away from home is that fair? Uh, I'm not sure it is it's, the questions we should be asking are do we have a different style to take away from home are we trying to do what we do at home away from home and coming up against smarter stronger clever opposition who know how to nullify us if we look at the goals we conceded um, away from home we've conceded two goals against Wednesday two goals against Forest, two goals against Rotherham quality of chances we conceded was six as well so it's kind of leveling off there so what, something we, we kind of need to change something it feels like we it feels like we're going into these games very similarly to how we'd approach our home form and we have to ask questions like why do do we need to what do we need to change can I ask you a question you, you mentioned um the chances that we've created at home and the goals we've scored at home yeah. um I, I would I would say that although we scored three goals against Queen's Park Rangers yeah. on, on Saturday, 
there were there were probably three I would say if I'm being honest like three other chances that could should have been goals and um, against Hull there were other there were chance although we scored five and against Aston Villa we only scored one but we probably should have scored more there so Oh, should we? What I'm saying is, like, although the the figures looked really mightily impressive, they could actually be better. It, 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 is 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 XG making making us look? Oh, oh, should we be aiming higher? That's what I'm, that's probably what I'm saying. Uh, possibly, yeah, you could be right. I, I think if we looked at this just raw XG data, we should have scored in the last eight games. We should have scored about 14 goals. We've actually scored 22. So we are massively overperforming in that area already. Like that's. Again, that's almost double over performance. But this isn't foolproof. No, it's not. I mean, sometimes if you have a, if, imagine if you have an attacking scenario and a shot doesn't actually take place. So that won't register on here. You need shots to actually um, sort of register here. So, for instance, if someone puts in a really good ball and you, that feels like pressure, the striker misses it from an inch, doesn't get a shot away, it just stri- it flies forward, it flies past him. That doesn't get recognised as a shot or an XG point. But to us in the stadium or us on TV, that feels like bloody hell. He should have scored there. So that's also. Is it? It's not the outcome of the shot that gives it a rating, is it? So if you took a thirty-five-yard shot that hit the bar and went over, yeah. that's not a higher rating than somebody missing from three yards and putting it two foot wide. No, no. So the, it's the miss from two yards is higher rated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. If, so, so sometimes you think you've created more chances because there's been more long shots that have gone close to the goal but the reality is you haven't created more yeah, you chances in the XG world yeah? so you're talking about high value chances yeah, so you're, you've yeah. created chances you've done a lot of volumes so you're shooting from halfway line corners yeah. but they're low value positions it's those really intricate ones that are right on the six yard box or just on the edge of that box that's your high value chances so, so when you say we could have scored six goals it's because three of them whisk past the post from 25 yeah, yards so, so rather than rather than three of them were misses from close range that should have been buried do you know what I mean it's yeah, not yeah, yeah. It, there's a difference between so I, I go by ooze on yeah. beside Twitter ooze doesn't yeah. work no it's so yeah, yeah. no yeah. It's, it's, it's oof it's an X X oo yeah. yeah. is high on that one yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, there are certain clubs in this division that have got an equally impressive Stats, yeah. but are converting those into points. Why is that? Why why are we clutching at straws, looking at numbers to prove that we should be better than we are? And why are they actually doing? Why why are they doing the business? Why are they doing the business? Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a really good question, Dave. So yeah, XG as we are the data darlings. So Brentford are a data club. We're really good at producing high data numbers like good data xg numbers but there seems to be a gap between us actually delivering that in terms of points and producing these good numbers so if you look at a team like sheffield united west brom leeds norwich exceptional xg but they're able to they're able to transfer that into points and that's what that's what we need to try and figure out how do we how do we transition from a team that just is good at data but actually is good at performance and maintaining performance and yeah, th- these are questions we've got to ask. Is it is it is it our inexperienced players? Are they good enough? Are they are they still developing? Do we have to do we have to kind of wait for their development phase to get more clinical, get stronger? Uh, do they have to be smarter? Understand how to manage games better? Do they have to sort of 
do they have to learn the tricks of the trade? Are they trying to play the game too nicely? Are we too, are we too attacking? Are we too... Would we, for instance, would Brentford ever, if we were 1-0 up in a game away from home, would we bring on a fifth defender to sit back to see out the last 20 minutes? Or would we bring on Canos to go and see if we could get the second? These are questions we've got to ask. But I think a lot of these other teams are older, a bit more physical, a bit stronger, a bit more... They've got a little bit more know-how. So, yeah, we're kind of playing catch-up in a way. But my point and something I'm thinking about is whether we've got, we've got a new manager now. So we've got Frank. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's, uh, have things changed? Now we've got the stinky yeah. first part of the Thomas Frank reign out of the way. Uh, are, are things improving compared to Dean Smith? Yeah, I think so, absolutely. So... That stinky run that everyone talks about, there was like that 10-game period where nothing was going right. But during that period, we were still creating chances. We were, we were conceding goals for fun. We, though, we were, there were periods where um, we were conceding three goals in like a short space of time, like sort of 10-minute periods. But in all, in all of those games, we still attacked. We still looked like we were scoring. So that's where you know that we are actually a good side. And it was a blip. But now, if you look at us, under Frank... We're controlling games. Dean Smith never, ever got us to produce performances where sort of 0.2 XG, 0.5 XG, these are they're unheard of numbers in, under Dean Smith's range. We, we're a much more open side then. We're much smarter now at home. We just need to find a way to transfer that into our away form. So, Crystal Ball, next season, I mean, obviously this, this season, we're not going up, we're not going to go down. You know, that, that, it's not... It's not to say it's not mathematically possible that either scenario could happen. Um, you know, anyone that's seen us in the last two months knows that the chances of us going up are, are, are slightly higher than that of going down. But next season, last season at Griffin Park, let's assume that um, there's money, a bit more money to spend. Let's assume that a few of the weaknesses within our squad or within our A-team are, have been ironed out. What, how can you see the next 12 months planning out? Where, where, what are we going to be talking about this time next year? Uh, this time next year, hopefully a charge for the playoffs or <laughs> charge for automatics. But <clears throat> yeah, something I just touched on with, with Frank. I think we spent, Smith was here for four years, um, top 10 finishes. It was good. We underperformed each time, each season. We should have been high up the table with those finishes based on performance. What we're seeing with Frank already, it feels like he understands the game in a, in a deeper way and he understands the whole game, so the defensive side of the game, the attacking side of the game. And he seems to... If I, I really do get the impression with Frank that if we give him the tools, just a couple more, couple more key players, like centrally, another couple of, big, like a couple of big strong defenders, maybe a little players who are a little bit older, a little bit smarter. But I... I I really do see Frank actually taking us to the next level with that gap and actually making sure that we can match underlying performance with points on the table. I think Frank's the, Frank's the man. Well, I'll, I think we'll wrap that little section up because that's, that's, you know, that's, that's the way it seems to be at the moment. And uh, as I said, you know, and I've said it three or four times and I'll keep saying it, I didn't give Thomas Frank any, any, any sort of um, potentially hope for turning things around. And I couldn't have been more wrong so um, you know long may that continue I want to see us start next season in a in a similar way to the way we did this year and but I want that to continue throughout the nine months of the season you know that's that's the one thing that we'll always be haunted by is what could have been this year because you know we've been fairly consistent again just apart from probably 
a half a dozen games where we were really bad. The rest of them, we've been pretty good, but just, you know, giving goals away at the back and the goalkeeper fluffing and the, and the defenders being leaky. So um, hopefully we can put it all into one last season at Griffin Park next season. Saturday, we're going up to Middlesbrough again. It's, it's I dread it. It's it's absolutely it's a great it's a great day out. I mean, I love going to Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough is a place they make us feel very welcome. Baker Street, brilliant little pubs. So the the the, the weekend I'm looking forward to the game. Not at all. We've we've lost. We've drawn. We drew once. Um, and another one other game we deserve more but the rest of the times we've just got spanked up there and I, to be honest with you um, even looking at XG Dave's charts I'm, I'm, I'm not going there hopefully uh, you know, I, I think we're going to go and get turned over I, I just we, we're due a result there though and, and I, said, I said it on Monday our waveform can't get any worse and if it can't get any worse what can it get and that's better so if so it could get better. So let's talk to Rob from Fly Me to the Moon, who is going to do tonight's Five from the Hive. Five from the Hive, Borough. Hello, my name is Robert Nichols. I'm the editor of Borough Fanzine Fly Me to the Moon. Um, we've been going 30 years. Also do fmttm.com website, and uh, uh, I've been a Borough fan <laughs> since I was a kid, and I actually live on the old ground at Essen Park. Borough are still hanging in there in the playoff spots. Your football isn't the prettiest, but you're getting results. Are you pleased with your season so far? I think this season it's been a sort of mixed reaction for from a lot of the fans to, to what's going on. Um, we're, we're in the playoffs. We were hoping for more, but then the, right at the start of the season, we lost our best three players, probably. Um, and um, and then in the, we were all hoping in January transfer window that we'd be able to replace some of them, get some pace and width that we've been lacking. We, we, we didn't sign any of it. Instead, we signed John Obi Mikel in midfield. And I guess more of that later because um, he's made a world of a difference, really. So the football hasn't been brilliant, but we're hanging in the in the playoff uh, places. And with 12 games to go, I think, um, you know, it's all to play for. Tony Pulis took over from Gary Monk almost exactly two years ago. The Sergeant Major plays a particular style of football which should best be described as practical. Seeing as you've recently been in the Premier League and have been relegated, is the actual going up less of a big deal now, but staying up when you get there, if you get there, more important? I think uh, it's a sort of catch-22 situation in the Championship as far as um, many of us would prefer to be a big fish in the Championship. But in the, at the same time, if you don't go up... Um, well, what what is the? That's the whole aim, isn't it? Really, um, but yeah, obviously, last time we were in the Premier League, we had a, a, a woeful season. We got hardly any points. We got like sick of being beaten. But as a club these days, it's very very hard to to exist, uh, to stand still. Once the parachute payments have totally dried up, which they will um, at the end of next season, then 
um, it's getting it's getting increasingly hard to to survive, and uh, crowds will fall away, obviously, and and then you, you get into that spiral. And last time it took us seven seasons to get out of the of, of the championship back in the Premier League. You know, we weren't there very long, obviously, but that's what you aspire to. So um, yeah, it's. It might not be a fantastic football to watch, but it, it, in, in many cases, it's the way you get out of the, the, the championship. So many teams have battled their way out um, um, in that sort of style. You, you know, just look back to Cardiff um, and, and even when Newcastle went up. So it, it often is the ends justify the means. Borough have scored 38 goals this season. That's just one more than Rotherham, who are in the relegation zone. Only six teams have scored less goals than Borough, with Brentford at 58 scoring 20 goals more than Borough. Doesn't this worry you? Yeah, we, we, have, uh, we have had a real problem at scoring goals. And even just last week when we went to Wigan and drew 0-0, um, the opportunities were there and we squandered them. Um, and it, does, it, is, it is frustrating. We've, we've also had a real problem with winning at home. Um, QPR... Our last home game was our first time we'd won at home in the league this year, this calendar year. And that is hopefully a breakthrough for us. But yes, goals, um, it, it, was, it was obviously Achilles heel from the very start or from before the start of the season. And as I mentioned already, we, we, we really struggled um, to bring in people to replace, if you can possibly replace Adama Traore. And... And, and replace Patrick Bamford, and uh, and, and 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 that's still a, a problem now. Um, we've got to hope that we can share those goals out among the team, really, and get some more goals from midfield. Uh, Johnny Housen scored recently. Um, he would hope to have scored more than he has done because he was quite high scoring in the past at Norwich, certainly. Um, uh, and well, the forwards have got to score more. And then Aidan Flint, who's been injured, who will be injured for the match against Brentford. Uh, he came to Middlesbrough with 10 goals from last season at, at, at Bristol City. And he's, he's looked, he's, for a giant, he's managed to head it everywhere but on goal. Um, if he could bring his defensive heading into the other box, then that would be all right. But yes, it is a worry um, that we're not scoring goals. Obviously, fantastically solid at the back and... Uh, and no one concedes as few, but yeah, a few more, a few more at the other end wouldn't go amiss. We signed George Savile from Millwall. He loves scoring against us after walking out on us after promotion and finding himself in the football wilderness for a number of years. He then found his feet at Millwall, though, to be fair. The question is, who should we be looking out for? George Savile's taken, um, yeah, it's taken a little while to settle, um, but yeah, it, it, you mentioned how he scored, scored, scored uh, many for Millwall against you. Well, he did the same for for, for, for Millwall against Borough, and he's just—I think it's starting to click now. Um, he's kind of been forced into a role um, uh, uh, recently with with the injury to to George Friend of of, of left wing back, and that seems to suit him. Um, he arrives late in the box, um, uh, and 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 he's got a great shot on him. He's not afraid to, to shoot from well outside the box, which which is a, an exception for, for for the Borough players. Um, 
But and and I mentioned right at the start about about John Obi Mikel. Um, his he's just been a, a real revelation. Uh, we, we thought when he came that we we got oh not another holding midfield player because you know for, for not just from Tony Pulis but also Ito Karanka seems to have had a real preference for holding midfield players. But John Obi Mikel has been he just looks a class above class above everyone in this division and he allows everybody else to get get on and and, and be creative. And George Savile um, and Johnny Housen have certainly really profited from that. And also the defenders from behind can can get forward. He, he provides a screen. He does. He just keeps it really simple. And other players get forward and and create chances. Um, Ashley Fletcher missed a couple of big chances uh, away at Wigan. And if the pattern is the same, when he misses one in one match, he seems that the, the next match he he just lashes it. So. Uh, hoping that Fletcher might score um, against Brentford. Brentford haven't beaten Borough in 12 matches. Since our recent link-up in the Championship in 2014, you've won nine and drawn two. We always play very well against Borough in most of these matches, but we can never get a result. Why do you think that is? How do you reckon this game will pan out and give us a score prediction? If I was a Brentford fan, I'd, I'd probably really hate Borough. So I'm really grateful that that, that you're actually still talking to me, because yeah, we've got um, a ridiculous record against you, haven't you? Haven't we? In, in particularly in recent times, um, last season when you were at the Riverside, you completely outplayed us. There's no doubt about that, and um, we were lucky to get the draw. But we 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 we've always seemed to win at Griffin Park. I don't know what we'd be like at your at your new stadium. And um, yeah, we've seen, we, we've enjoyed. <laughs> we, we can we can afford to enjoy some of your football when when you're on the losing losing end, can't we? Um, but I've always, always thought that um, you've always seemed to produce really good creative forwards um, with a, a lot of flair. Uh, and I know that a lot of Borough fans really enjoy the experience of going to Griffin Park. Um, and I guess the the big. Uh, Poser is can you can you bottle that and, and take it to your, to your new ground because it is quite something special I think under those floodlights because <laughs> we we do seem to have a habit of playing you either, either on a night or in the middle of winter uh, and and the games have sort of kind of lit up cold days. But I, I'm 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 really feeling that we we will I think we will win again um, out against you. Uh, the, the two weeks ago, uh, beating QPR and, and, and playing so well um, was a bit of a breakthrough in that there's been a lot of pressure on us at home. And I think teams come and, and they know if they're frustrated, either if they attack us straight away, as, as um, Forrest did and Villa did, or they wait for us to frustrate ourselves as, um, uh, and then come good in the second half, as, as um, unfortunately teams like Burton did. And, and Newport County, then um, then it can turn the crowd. But I think that having won against QPR, there's a lot more confidence going into this. So I'm hoping once again that Brentford fans go home um, with without any point. I was going to say pointless. It's not a pointless journey though, because there's always there's always a, a, a greeting to be had, and we'll we'll all go out down Baker Street afterwards and uh, raise a pint. Thank you. There you heard Rob 
He's, he's a proper old school fanzine editor. He's been around for 25, 30 years as Rob. Uh, we see him every home game at Griffin Park, every away game up at the Riverside. Top man. He knows his stuff. We've got two really, really awkward games coming up, Dave. We've got Middlesbrough Saturday. We've got Sheffield United away on the Tuesday. I want to look at these two as a as a six point package. I'll, I won't go into West Brom the next the next week. We got we, we we have got some awkward awkward fixtures coming up, but it's a good way of you know we've seen that the divisions tightened. We're closer to the top six now than we were before this eight week period. We've we've moved away from any kind of relegation kind of fears. We could do ourselves a lot of favours. But it's got to start with a very, more than a very positive performance. We have to get a result up at the Riverside. What, 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 how, how are you seeing these next two games? Well, I mean, they almost are as tough as they could be. There's only two other teams you wouldn't want to play right now. That's Leeds and Norwich. But this is the championship. Yeah, it's not easy. I think people sometimes take for granted that you just sort of turn up and win games in this league. It's a, it's a hard league and there's nothing easy about it. Uh, Middlesbrough are, yeah, they're just a really horrible side to play. Um, if Tony Pulis could, I think he'd play eight centre backs and just sit there and sort of grind out a game. But he'll probably play four, I reckon. Four, he'll play four on uh, Saturday. Yeah, it's, it's probably, uh, to be honest, it's probably going to be quite similar to the home game when we played them when they beat us 2 1. They're going to sit back, soak up a lot, and just really like tire us out and then hit us on the break. But Back then, I think we had Judge in the team that game, and it was yeah. Judge, I think Judge got the goal. Look at that; it was a lovely goal that day. But Ben Rama's come to the fore now. Morpai's playing really well. I think if we can pin them back, and if we can find just just something to get through them, what we don't want though is Middlesbrough to score first. I think scoring first, that's it. The game's pretty much over. They'll just shut down the game. We need to get that first goal, get on top early, and just see if we can do anything. Leading on to Sheffield United, uh, Sheffield United next, isn't it? Yeah, that. Another really difficult game, but I mean, we can have a big say on the playoff race if we can if we can do anything against these two teams and get ourselves even closer. Who knows? This season may not be over, but yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take a lot. It's gonna take a lot. Uh, I think we're gonna need we're gonna need Josh McEachern to step up in this one. I think seeing <laughs> seeing McCotter, oh, no, 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 enough, enough. <laughs> but seeing two short, two really tough games in a short space of time where. These are going to be these are going to be attritional games. Like they're going to be really strong games against two of the best sides in this division. I don't know if Makocho can get through both those games. So we may need we may need a performance from McEachern. And yeah, I mean, if ever he can turn around opinion, it's going to be against these two sides. So yeah, just hoping we can hoping we can do something. We go northeast. <laughs> is it a foregone conclusion, or is there is there really? You know, we need to be realistic. I mean, it's, it's okay going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go. I mean, I'm going. I'm going up Friday. I'm taking a day off work. Um, I'm going to spend the night in Middlesbrough. We're going to have a good night. Absolutely, absolutely positive of that. So I'm going there not to see my team lose. I'm not. You know, no way. I'm not defeated. So I'm going. I'm going there wanting us to win. But history is a good barometer. We don't. We don't travel well at all this season we don't travel well to Middlesbrough ever so is it is it a foregone conclu- conclusion 
I think the best argument you can make is that um, the law of averages say yeah. we're due at least a, another win this season and we're due to beat Middlesbrough away. Um, I, you know, football's a bit odd, isn't it? I mean, you, you can see with the way that we're up and down that, you know, uh, every game is different. The championship is massively known for that. So all I can go with is, you know, my I always worry about, the you know, the, the, the sort of... Um, the law of averages because I actually was more than happy that QPR beat Leeds because I didn't fancy them coming to us on a haven't won a game in eight run or sorry lost eight on the spin run because at some point you know it has to break and I, and I feel the same about about the Middlesbrough game that that's the best argument I can make though um, I worry um, if you put the Borough game and the and the Sheffield United game together. Um, for the same reasons that, you know, can, can Makocho get through two games in four days? Probably, you know, uh, he he's, seems to have been getting closer to being able to do that. Um, but I, I just think he's a, he's a massive part of our midfield. Um, and, and you probably heard me say at the beginning of the podcast on the playback from QPR that, you know, I don't see another two-man midfield option without Makocho that I genuinely think can go out there and, and do the job because because we don't have another player. You know, we all know Soares is fantastic, but he needs someone to do the sort of the legwork alongside him. And I, I don't have an answer apart from Makocho. So I think he's, he's absolutely key. And um, whichever game he plays in, or maybe he does play in both, um, then we've got a chance. But I, I don't see... I, I, that's the only way out I can see in these two games at the moment. It's just... Yeah. It, it seems a really sort of you know basic thing to say, but but for me that's what it's all about. And you know the, the game or games he plays in, then um, I think we have a shout. And you know again, I think there's a there's a lot of chatter that's been you know um, if you if you if you you're thinking about playing Josh McEachran, why don't you play Josh De Silva instead? And I'll I'll be honest with you, from what I, what I saw last night against Malmo. That he's not a he's not yeah. a he's not a Makocho replacement. For me, yeah, De Silva's a potential Sawyer's replacement, um, but I don't think he's a Makocho replacement either. Um, I I don't know if it, you know. And then there's a bit of me thinks you know is there a kid in the B team that can come in and run around because it's not as simple as running around I don't think it is Reese Cole either it's, don't, don't, don't start on the Reese Cole because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you, 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 know, you know what we think because about Reese Cole because again Reese Cole could play the Sawyers role but we're not asking for someone to play the Sawyers role we're asking for someone to play the Makocho role and um, I don't see someone at the club that can do it the nearest I think we had to it was Yunaris um, you know and more for those who celebrated him leaving yeah. Well, not we couldn't have turned down the money we got for you, yeah, Norris. Yeah, yeah, we just, there's no true. way. I, no, no. I, 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 it was a good deal, and we needed to take the money. I just, but there was there was a certain celebration in I some areas, and I think that I just feel he's the only player that could really have done that role yeah. in the squad. So I, I think we all agree that, that you know that's that's certainly the one area that the recruit, you know the DOFs have to look at is is that kind of engine that that kind of that magnet. In the middle of the in the middle of the park, that can just just the, someone with a massive engine that can just run around and uh, allow the creative players to do what they've got to do. Ali, you're another person that's taking time off work on Friday to go up to the northeast. You're not going there for just 
a, a drink you're going there to see your team perform and perform well and hopefully win do you go there just out of hope or any expectation whatsoever more in hope than expectation to be honest I, I completely echo everything Matt's just said um, a lot of whether or not we have a chance in this game does depend if Camo plays I think if he plays then we've got a good chance if he doesn't play I I can't see us getting anything from it so if he's only got one game a week in him which game is he Thomas Frank do you play him in um, and if you don't play him what's your option it's probably McEachran, which is not the type. McEachran is not the type of player you probably want in that role. Um, and I think if McEachran plays, it stifles Sawyer's because Sawyer's has to do more of the dirty work um, than he does when when Camo plays. And I, I really wish that Nico Nunares was still at the club, and at least it would give us another option from that point of view in this situation. Um, I would love to say that the law of averages will give us a result but the law of averages means we should have bloody won at Wembley at some point in the last 5,001 times we've played there so, so we definitely will next time <laughs> we definitely will well. next time yeah. but you know we'll go up and we'll, we'll, we'll have a drink and we'll have a sing and it'll be a you know. I think we've got to go as strong as we can, obviously, on, on Saturday. You know, I think you, you play Makocho Saturday. Um, you see how that pans out, and then you, you take a view um, on, on Tuesday night. So, you know, we are all going up. Um, there's a massive group. All, it's, it's actually there's a big group of the Besotted lads are going up on, uh, on Friday and Saturday. Some are coming up Friday for one night. Some are coming up um, Friday for two. Some are coming up Saturday for one. So whatever happens, they are going to be at the Riverside on Saturday for the one. And uh, we'll, we'll just see what happens. Um, Sheffield United, I've personally not made my mind up yet whether I'm going, and um, we'll see what, again, just see how it goes. So let's go around the table very quickly. I won't do a Sheffield United prediction. We'll just keep this one to Middlesbrough. Dave, prediction, please, for this Saturday. Yeah, so apparently Middlesbrough haven't, They've kept a clean sheet in the last of their three games. They haven't conceded the goal for three games, basically. So that's not a good sign. But, law of averages, <laughs> we are due a goal. They're, they're due a goal to concede. So I'm going to go revenge for the Griffin Park game. I'm going to go 2-1 Brentford. Like style, Mr Allard? 1-0 uh, Brentford. <laughs> Miss, La- Miss Mullally? Heart says 2-1 Brentford. Head says 1-0 Borough. <laughs> Which are we going to go for? Heart, 2-1 Brentford. <laughs> We're all wrong. I'm going. I'm going three-one Brentford. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to go three three nil up. We're going to take um, Makocho off. Jo- Josh is going to come on, and we concede. So there you go. So no, seriously. Thank you for listening tonight. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, Seb, you know we don't we don't try and shirk subjects. Sometimes we just don't react to everything as it happens. Sometimes you need to think about things just for 24 hours and just to work out what the actual real picture is. Sometimes you need to just speak to a couple of people just to find out what actually happened. So um, there you have it. We'll be up at the Riverside on Saturday. You'll get a post-match podcast. We'll be back on Love Sport on Monday night with another radio show. And then we'll be back again next week um, I think one of us will be up at um, 
um, Bramall Lane for the game on Tuesday. Then obviously Wednesday night we'll be doing this all over again just so you've got some lovely content for your Thursday mornings. I got, so I got pulled up in Ashford High Street the other day and said, Dave, if, you, if, if the podcast isn't up by my break on a Thursday, I get really upset. And I said, I'm really sorry, mate. So, come on, unis. Come on, you bees. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.